Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. you got a Bible open with me to, um, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to Psalm 51. I'd rather you be there. So if you would just open up there, Psalm 51. Uh, how much does Santa pay to park his sleigh? Nothing. It's on the house. What do you call Santa living at the South Pole? A lost clause. All right. So um, today we're going to talk about joy. We're going to talk about joy. And you know, this is... Um, it's a difficult subject for me. Yesterday in our deacon meeting, we were having a deacon meeting, and it's just hilarious to me that one of our deacons walked in and his, his devotion was on joy and the need for joy and how it's hard to find this time of year, especially for him. And out of that deacon, uh, the room, there were eight of us in the room, and there was one of us that was joyous, and the others were saying, yes, we struggle with joy at this time of year. And I, uh, you know... I can tell you, I, I like being a little bit of a Grinch because uh, they say that the Grinch doesn't hate Christmas, he just hates people, so that's fair, I guess. So I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking with you. A little bit of a Grinch because, you know, I don't mind a, a large portion of the Christmas season I really find enjoyable. And then there's all this outlier stuff, right? Can anybody admit that you're more busy this time of year than more, most times of year? Can anybody admit that you spend more money this time of year than most times of year? Oh, <laughs> and that, you know, if you're a person, you're trying to balance the budget and then you got to buy more for another one to make up, you know, and, and it can get a little tense because you're busier, your days are longer, your income's a little shallower, and sometimes there's this struggle to catch the joy of the season because of all the trappings of the season. So... What I want to do is I want to circle back around. I want to press into the core of joy rather than talk about the peripheries of joy. I'm not talking about pleasure. I'm not talking about fun. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about something called joy. So what are the most joyous moments in your life? And what are the lowest moments, the low light of your life where joy was strangely absent? So I I have to give you my low lights first because I'm a pain before pleasure guy. The first is, lowest moment, lowest day of my life is probably the day my dad died. Literally the worst day of my life. How about this one? Getting disciplinary probation at CBC for a year and a half. That was not a good day. That was, that was a long, joyous, joyless time period. And then the others are having to deal with some issues of people around here that have totally messed up their life and destroyed their lives and others. And over the years, it's happened. And those are some of the worst moments in my life. What are some of the highlights? Well, this past year, my wife and I were celebrating our anniversary, and on the day of our anniversary, it was beautiful. 
we were kayaking in the ocean and it was absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and we were having fun together on our anniversary and I mean everything was perfect you could count your toes neck deep in the water the sky was blue the waves were low and we paddled around and I was with her and we were having fun the hurricane came in that night but that's a different story And then, you know, one of my other favorites this time of year was the kids serving breakfast in bed to us. It was a, uh, it's a sort of a Christmas tradition until our kids left the house that on Christmas Eve, they would bring us breakfast in bed. And, uh, you know, I always loved it. I'd wake up listening to them fighting in the kitchen and slamming things around and making a mess. I know I'd have to clean up in a few minutes. But when they came in the room and they're like, Merry Christmas, they'd come in and we would sit and they would, you know, I'd eat the eggs and spit out the shells. And, you know, those are some of the happiest, most joy-filled moments of my life. And then, you know, there are moments where I led some of you to Christ. And there are people I've led to Christ, some names like Bill, Mike, Denny, Jason, Tim, Ryan, watching one guy walk into my office or meeting one guy at a coffee shop or something and watching another guy leave never to be the same. Those are some of the best moments in my life. Uh, those are the things that give me the most joy. Um, can I draw some conclusions from my highlight and low light reel? Both highlight and low light reels are all about relationship with others. Oh, there's some setting changes, but setting's not what I remember. What I remember is the people I was with. And what I remember in both situations are people, and I celebrate people. So apparently, you ready for this? Special occasions were only special because of who I was with. That joy is only there because of the people in your life that give you joy. Because a new car or a new house, they may give you a momentary buzz, but real joy only comes with who's in the new car and the new house with you. So I want to give you a statement today. God wants you to live a life of joy. God wants you to live a life of joy. So when God wanted to reveal joy to us and give us joy, he didn't give us stuff. He gave us a person. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. When God wants you to experience joy, he doesn't give you situations. He gives you a person. So your ultimate joy doesn't depend on what you have or where you go because you can have the world's best vacation, but if you're fighting and griping the entire time, it's not so much fun, right? But your ultimate joy is found in a healthy relationship with God and others. So we're going to press into that. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word today? And let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. So they obviously were not having a joyous time because camping is not fun. If you're one of those camper people, may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just playing with you there. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. This good news will cause great joy for the people. 
And there's going to be the people, the others are going to be blessed by this and have joy. And then he said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. So the cause of the joy was Jesus. And the experience is that all the people would receive joy because of it. And suddenly, a great, uh, oh, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on whom? On those whom his favor rests. So there is peace and there is joy and there is mercy and love and kindness through Jesus for us. So Father, I pray today that you would bless this message, that you would bless our ears and that we would find out how to live a life of joy in you, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you turn to somebody, give them a big smile and say, you sit next to the great person today. <laughs> it's good to see you guys online. So to live a life of joy, you need to take some action. To live a life of joy, there are two actions you need to make. The first action is you need to remove your joy busters. You know, there are joy busters in this world. There are certain things that attack your joy. This time of year, your busyness, your lack of a budget, your lack of a budget. You may be joyful in Christmas when the bill comes due in January. You're like, oh my, home alone. There you go. You're oh my. What do you, well, that's why we have Financial Peace University starting January 16th right here at Harvest Ridge Church. Make sure you sign up. All right. There are joy attackers. There are things that when you encounter them, it's like, it's like they change the oil in your car, except they're changing the oil in your car, and, and they let the plug out the bottom, and all of it just drains out, right? Anybody ever been in a situation where your joy just drained out? All right. So some of those are out of your control, like the death of a loved one. I just did a funeral this past week, and it's not easy on families that have lost loved ones in this time of year. You know, there's accidents, like my sump pump going bad yesterday during the rain. Yes. Joy drain. <laughs> yeah. How about this one? Other people's decisions. They do things that affect you and you had no power over it. Ooh. Yeah. But can I be honest with you? Most of our joy busters are not those things. Most of our joy busters are us. Me. My thoughts, my attitudes, my decisions. Joy busters are things that hinder our relationship with God and others. And those are attitudes and actions that hinder my relationship with God and my relationship with others. So to, to look at this, there's a psalm. There's this guy named David. He wrote some psalms. And the psalms uh, often contain words about joy. And I'm going to look at three of them today, talk about how to get joy back and how to have joy in your life. And the first one's going to be Psalm 51. And I don't know if you know this, but this is the famous psalm about David and Bathsheba. And if you haven't heard that, I'm going to try to break this down super duper fast. But let's just start here. We'll start with the story. David was king. And it says in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. So he was supposed to do something, but he did something else. Why would he do this? And I think it's because he had a wrong attitude. And what is a wrong attitude? That's when you start making excuses like, I deserve. Anybody ever made an I deserve statement to yourself? Yeah, I deserve a new truck because it would make me happy. I deserve, as 
Anyway, I deserve, you know, I deserve to get that, do that, go here, see that, experience this. I deserve. And it's always that I deserve because I have some need in my life. I think that's going to fulfill and I'm going to make excuses for it. And what David did, David had a job and his job was to be king. And to be king, he needed to lead his army. And he wasn't leading his army. Instead, he was saying, I deserve to take some time off back in my palace and relax instead of going off to war. Whatever. You know, do you ever notice that you are the best salesman in the world? Come on, some of you would be multimillionaires if you could sell the world as good as you sold your bad ideas to yourself. Come on, because you're a great salesman. You talk yourself into all kinds of bad ideas. And David is talking himself into bad ideas. At the time when kings go off to war, I should have been there, but instead I deserve something else. I deserve some pleasure. I deserve an escape. I deserve a whatever. Can I give you what Paul wrote? Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 6, the one who lives for pleasure is dead even while they live. So a joy buster in your life, it's going to kill you, and that's for you to make wrong attitudes that excuse wrong behaviors. So David, he made a wrong attitude. He had a wrong choice. He should have been somewhere else. He excused it. He pulled back. So he, here he is in Jerusalem while everybody else is doing what they should do. And then we go to he's in the wrong place. He saw a beautiful woman bathing. 2 Samuel eleven two. David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, you may say this is an accident, but I don't think it is. I don't think David accidentally walked around the roof at that time of night. Why? Because David... What, what happened? He saw this beautiful woman bathing down there. Her name was Bathsheba. And we're going to find out that that started a problem. So David was sneaking a peek. Yeah? But, but the reason I don't think it's an accident is, see, David instructed his son Solomon. And Solomon, well, Solomon wrote what his dad told him. And it's in Proverbs chapter 7, verse 7. I saw among the simple a youth who had no sense. Come on. Come on. He was going down the street near a corner. In other words, he was going the wrong place, walking along the direction of her house at twilight at the wrong time. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and you go to the wrong place at the wrong time. Wrong is going to happen, not right. Am I correct? All right, here he is. And as the dark of night was setting in, and what happens is David was warning Solomon, don't do what I did. Don't go the wrong place at the wrong time expecting right behaviors. Hmm? That's what I told my kids. I always said, nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> nothing good happens on Tinder. I just have this account to see. See what? Oh, come on. How, how about this? Nothing good happens when you know where you shouldn't go at the time you shouldn't be there. And you know it, but yet you choose to do it anyway. And I'm telling you, you do that, you're setting yourself up for joy to go kaput, goodbye, hasta la bye-bye, see ya, won't come back. Then he made a wrong decision. There he was. He was up on the roof. And then he made a wrong decision. 2 Samuel eleven four. 4, David sent messengers to get her. You know, there's always a moment. There's always a time. There's always a time. When you make the decision and you know you made the decision and there's no going back. You know what I'm talking about. There's that moment 
where it's temptation, 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 choice. Y'all know what I'm saying? And what happened is David, he saw, he could have stopped, but he didn't. He said, no, go get her. And she came to him and he slept with her. And I don't think he just slept. And what, back, back to that previous passage, what does David instruct Solomon about this moment of choice? What does he, what does he say? Proverbs 7.22. Exact same passage again, a little further down. Proverbs 7.22. At once, all at once, he followed her like an ox going to slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose. Come on. What happens when you go temptation, 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 choice? What happens? It's like an ox going to slaughter and a deer about to die from the noose. That choice, that wrong choice, that wrong decision. Well, listen, if you've done that, then there comes a moment of response to it. And David didn't just make the wrong decision. He made the wrong response after the decision. So what happened was Bathsheba got pregnant. And David's like, oh no, i got to cover this up. So he called Bathsheba's wife in, back from military. Remember, he was out fighting where David should have been. Called him back in. He wouldn't sleep with his wife. So David sent him back to the front with a note saying to the commander of the army, put him up front and then leave him alone. And what happened was David basically murdered her husband. But not only that, when, when the commander said was reporting back, to David about the war. He said, when, it, when he asks why this one warrior died because this warrior was close to the front and a woman dropped a rock on his head, how did that happen? Your response is to be, oh, and Uriah the Hittite is dead too. I want you to see this, that his wrong, David's wrong response was not confession of his sin. That would have been the right response. Instead, he covered it up, and Joab died, and another one of his mighty men died too. He lost two people, and their families all suffered because David saw a woman bathing and wanted her. What are your decisions costing you? Because joy busters, what do joy busters do? They not only destroy your relationship with God, they destroy your relationship with others. Think of all the people that were hurt by David's decision. Think of all the people that are hurt by your decisions. So what do we do? Well, let's look at this Psalm 51, because what happened is, oh yeah, 2 Samuel eleven twenty-seven says, but the thing, the biggest understatement in the Bible, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. <laughs> now, years ago, I was driving down the road, and I was listening to One Bad Pig. And One Bad Pig's one of the greatest bands ever, and I love them. They, they made a great album. And, uh, you know, the, I, I wish I could sing it, but the chorus goes something like, Take a look! Take a look at yourself! <laughs> That's my rock and roll debut and finale at the same time. <laughs> but I'm driving down the road, and, you know, I'm struggling with some stuff in my life. And, and I'm listening to this album, and, and the song comes on, and, and it speaks to me because it's about this Psalm 51, and it says, you write those holy songs. Your gift goes without mention. The lady in the pool down there, she's got your full attention. Now, the Spirit's got the grief, and Bathsheba's got a son. It's time to write another psalm. Just call it 51. There's a, the Holy Spirit, yeah, I could still tell you where I was on the road listening to that old tape going, take oh, oh, sorry. Does anybody remember tapes that were out in the sun too long? 
Does anybody remember cassette tapes or am I really old, all right? At least they're not eight-track tapes where it's take, uh, look, click, take a look at your, oh, sorry. <laughs> so what do you, how do you deal with it? Well, David wrote a psalm in response to this situation, and the psalm is 51, and he cries out, there are three cries that he makes here. He makes a cry for forgiveness, Psalm 51.1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. So he's asking for forgiveness. This psalm is, I did wrong, God, I did wrong, would you please be merciful to me, and would you cover my sin? And then he calls out with the correction of attitude. Come on, remember it all started with a bad attitude, and if you want to get it fixed, you, you want your joy back, you got to go back and fix the attitude that put you in the place that robbed you of your joy. And this is what he prays, Psalm 51.3, I know my transgression, my sin, not, not their problems, my sin is always before me and against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight and you're right for judging me and you're right for taking everything away from me if you want and your verdict is right and you're justified when you're judged because I'm not worthy of any of your blessing so anything I have is a gift from you. Now is that a little bit different of an attitude than I deserve? So a correction of attitude, and then there's a pleading for restoration of relationship. And he prays this, Psalm 51, verse 11. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And how is that joy res restored? Verse 8 says, let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have crushed rejoice because there is a moment of restoration that comes. When we correct our attitudes before God, we ask for forgiveness, and we say, God, please give me relationship with you back. That's when joy takes over the joy busters. And as long as you're excusing your sin, you'll never have joy. As long as you're making excuses, you'll never have joy. It will not happen. Did you know that? As long as you're excusing it, you'll never, ever have joy. But I want to give you good news. You have power over the joy busters. Did you know that? You have power over the joy busters. Because all they are are temptations. And the Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you can endure under it. So every joy buster that comes your way, you already have power over it. You just need to walk in that, and you need to talk yourself out of your stupid stinking thinking and talk yourself into trusting God and being blessed in his presence and in his provision. You already have it. You're just thinking wrong. You're just thinking wrong. You're thinking wrong. You're thinking wrong. The little bitty temptation is just yelling up in your face. Rah, 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 rah. And you are there with all this power, able to overcome it, and you're just letting the little temptation keep you at bay and keep you from experiencing joy. You're allowing the little temptation to keep big you in the power of God from experiencing I actually got a video of this happening. I did. Well, it's, do you have a video this time? Good. Can we see the video of this? Because this is what you look like when you give in to temptation. 
Who's got more power? Come on, who's got more power? Who's got more size? Who can control this situation in a heartbeat? The cow. Who's in control? Quack, 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 quack. And your temptations are quack, quack, quacking in your ear, and you have the power, and you're letting them control you. And I say, stop it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Second of all, we need to restore. Restore? (laughs) Hey, it's been a long weekend. Maybe tonight I'll get my lines right. I don't know. Come to the play tonight. What is it? Six o'clock? Seven? Seven Seven o'clock. Come to the play, see if I can get my lines right there. We need to restore our joy builders. How do you do that? How do you restore the joy builders in your life? There are two things that build joy in your life. One is your relationship with God. The other is your relationship with others. So let's talk about getting your relationship with God right, all right? Um, All right, so this past week I was reading another Psalm of David. This one's Psalm 109, if you want to flip over. And Psalm 109, David is talking about a situation that isn't joyous. He is actually being attacked. Psalm 109.4 says, in return for my friendship, they accuse me. So there are people in broken relationship with him. They're out there. They're attacking him. They're not treating him right. But I want you to see what David's response was to the joy attackers, to the, the things that were joy busters in his life. He goes to a joy builder. He says, in return for my friendship, they accusing me, but I am a man of prayer. This is underlined in my Bible because here's the key. Every time a joy buster comes your way, there's a joy builder you can always run to, and that's called prayer. And what does David do to these people that are attacking him? He just talks honestly to God. Can we look at his honest words before God? Ready? It's Psalm 109, verse 9. May his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has, and may strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. And that's just two verses of a bunch of very tough ones. That's pretty tough prayer, isn't it? Yeah? The joy busters in his life, what's he doing? He already feels this way about them. He's just talking to God about it rather than everybody else. I should mic drop, but I don't want to drop my head. Here's a mic drop moment. You ready? Quit talking to everybody else about the problem till you talk to God about the problem first. Right? He's doing something here. He's talking to God, and he's saying, this is how I feel. I want not only him to die, I want his kids to suffer. That's pretty dark, isn't it? But you know what? That darkness was already in his heart. God's not surprised by the darkness in his heart. We're a little bit surprised by it, but God's not. And what he did was, being a man of prayer, he prayed out that darkness. He prayed out that darkness. And by praying out that darkness, he was able to leave it in God's hands. And we're going to practice a prayer in just a little bit. This is it. Anybody ever come to God and you feel like your hands are cluttered with junk and with sin and anger and frustration and things not going right and, and you, you're just like a rah. Anybody ever come to God that way and you feel like you're, you're just filled with rah? I'm the only one. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Of course, I respond with anger. All right. So there you go. Rah! And my hands are filled with this stuff. You know what? I, I've developed a little practice. It's called hands down, hands up. And what I do when I'm coming to God and I've got an attitude, I'll just tell him what the attitude is. I'll identify what's in my hand. God, I really wish that person would die. 
It'd be easier for me if they'd just die and leave me alone. Now, God, I told you about it, so I'm going to do this. Watch this. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? What do you hold in your hands when your hands are like this? Nothing. Oh, this one's stuck a little bit. I'll scrape it off. There you go. What do you hold? Nothing. So you're taking your cares, your struggles, all of your true feelings, and you're doing what? You're dumping them out. And then after you dump them out in prayer and you tell God what you really think and what you really feel, then you say this, okay, God, fill me up with what you think and what you feel and your blessings. You, you see that process? Dump it out. Okay, God, fill it up. Dump it out, fill it up. Because sometimes I'll be doing this and they'll come back again. You know, boom, you know. I, I just wish our government would blow up. No, anyway. No, no God. You're king of the universe. You take care of it. I dump it all out. All right, God, give me the right attitude now. I wish Facebook would go away and never come back. No, no, I'll just hold up. No, I'm sorry. You know, do, do y'all know what I'm saying? Do you ever get these feelings? I wish this person that was mistreating me, God, you would deal with them. Dump it out and then turn your hands like this and say, God, fill it up. So that's what he's doing is he's praying this prayer. And he found joy trusting in God. Look at verse 26. Help me, Lord. My God, save me according to your unfailing love. While they curse, may you bless. Everybody else has given me the garbage, but I'm going to dump it out before you, and then I'm going to receive your blessings. May those who attack me be put to shame, but may your servant do what? I'm going to rejoice because my relationship with God is right, and therefore my relationship with others will be right. So in another psalm, David declares that God is the source of his joy. I wish I had time to un unpack this for you. It's in Psalm 94, 19. And I, I just want to give this to you because somebody needs this verse. Psalm 94, 19 says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. And, and that word consolation, I did research on this. I spent probably an hour just working on this part of the sermon. I'm going to give it to you in one minute. You ready? Ready? Consolation is only found like four times in the entire Old Testament. And this time and the other three times are in Job, where Job is calling for God to be near him and to bring him life. So consolation, when the Septuagint was translated and the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek to be used in synagogues throughout the world 3,000 years ago, they looked for a word. While Hebrew was still active and alive in that world, they looked for a word that meant consolation. And they picked the New Testament Greek word paraclete or parakaleos. And para means alongside, kaleo means to call. So to call alongside. So when anxiety was great within me, you came alongside me and brought me joy. Now how that's translated most of the time in your New Testament is like it's translated in 2 Corinthians 1.3. The father of paraclete, or the father of compassion, the God of all paraclete, there it is, the God of all comfort. Comfort. We take that God's comfort is him being with us through the struggle. It's translated in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father, he will give you another, here's the word, advocate or paraclete, somebody to walk alongside you, to help you, to help you, to help you, and to be with you, for, to be with you forever. So what God wants to do is when anxiety is great within you, he wants to come alongside you in relationship and give you back joy. 
So when you restore your relationship with God, you get joy. And then the second thing is you get your encouragement from godly people in your life. You get your relationship right with God, and then you get your relationship right with others. Hold on, let me see. You get your relationship right with God, and you get your relationship right with others. It sort of reminds me of the cross, doesn't it? What did Jesus do on the cross? He made our relationship right with God so we can have a relationship right with others. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but doing what? Encouraging one another. Now, I got a call on Monday from a buddy of mine. He lives in Germany. You might know who he is. Bobby Stetz, he gave me a call, and he, uh, he, he wasn't really down. He was just, you know, he had some pastoral issues he's struggling with, and he was talking to me about it. I mostly listened. I shared some of my stuff, but I mostly listened to him. And at the end of the conversation, I prayed a prayer over him, and I just prayed a prayer. It's a scripture that means a lot to me and my leadership, and I prayed that prayer over him. And, uh, you know, I just went on about my day thinking it was no big deal. Well, he's six hours ahead of me, and I woke up at 6 o'clock the next morning, and I went, and I looked at my phone. When I looked at my phone, there was a text there from Bob. And actually, it, I, I started crying when I read it because he said, you never know how much that prayer and that call meant to me yesterday and how much it encouraged me. Think about it. When was the last time in your life somebody came alongside you in a moment of trouble and they prayed for you and they cared and you let them and you let them and you listened and it meant something to you? Do you know the two things God wants from us? Here's what he wants. He wants us to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. So guess what we're going to do here at the end? What do you think we're going to do? I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to practice. Today we're going to practice. Y'all ready? So, they'll follow me, I think, with the cameras. Ugh, and these are not what they once were. All right? Hold out your hands like this. Let's go. What's bugging you? What's stealing your joy? What sin is there? What grief is there? What trouble? What bill, whatever it is. It's right there in your hands, isn't it? Let's start with sin. What sin have you committed that's on your heart? You go to pray and all you can think about is the sin. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just take that sin right now. What do I do with it? I just turn my hands over and God, I say it's yours. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Take it away. I don't want it anymore. I don't want the attitudes that led me there. I don't want it. Now turn your hands back over and say this. Lord Jesus, you promised that you would not only cleanse me from that sin, but you would give me your righteousness. So I ask God you to give me forgiveness and your righteousness right now. I receive it. I receive your forgiveness and your righteousness. Then those other problems, you know, the ones that's got y'all stressed out, the ones that's got y'all angry with everybody. 
God, I just take those things right now. I just dump them out. I just turn my hands over. They're all yours. I let go of them. I am not God. My attitude about them is wrong. Please forgive me for making excuses for a bad attitude. Now I just turn my hands over and I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. I receive your power to make right choices and to live for you. I receive you in this moment. And every blessing you have for me, fill my life with the good things you want. Receive it. I receive your joy right now, God. Because we've dealt with the things between us. We let go of the things in between us live in your joy right now. I think it'd be appropriate for us to say thank you to God for his restoration. So please don't leave. I got another step when we, I'm going to ask the band, ask them to sing a song here. Would you stand with me? Let's do this together.